Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects. So without wasting any more time, let's get this podcast underway. And a very good Monday morning to all for yet another podcast from M&A War Stories. And this morning, I've actually got pleasure of being joined by Barry Lewington and Hugh Van Vake, who's the both uh, senior consultants with PTS Consulting. It's a global business that helps clients uh, in the technology area. And uh, these guys will often get involved in quite complex technical programs, uh, all the way from setting initial strategy, all the way through to delivery and operational reality. And uh, I will say uh, a very good, warm welcome to the to the podcast, gents. Good morning to you. Good morning, Robert, and thank you very much for having us. Uh, a pleasure, a pleasure. So, Hugh and Barry, when, when we spoke initially, we were talking around how the, the sort of technology programs that you guys work with use into M&A activity quite regularly with many of your clients making M&A transactions. And of course, if I just set the scene for a minute, there are many types of M&A activity. And one thing we can say with certainty is every single one of them is different. Right? Not only have you got the technical aspects to deal with of bringing two disparate technical systems and technical environments together, you've got all of the internal challenges that often come down to the culture of the organization, the quality of the leadership team, the actual technology stack that that organization's got at the time. And then, of course, many external factors. Some, some industries that we work in have got very strong regulatory demands and can fully understand the, the importance of IT in making or breaking a deal. Because essentially, IT is the enabling platform that allows a business to go about its everyday business these days. And you get that wrong. And we've only got to look at the local press at the moment about data security and things like that. Of course, very relevant issues right now. You're transferring sensitive data from one system into another system or consolidating data across two systems. It's not for the faint-hearted. But if we look at that scenario about focusing on internal factors, we'll all accept that IT plays a key role in the acquisition process. Let me just open it up to you guys. Where do you come from? What are your thoughts? So, so I think, Robert, listen, the, the, the biggest challenge we have these days is in, certainly the M&A environment is just the timeline. Timelines for, for as you're aware, that the whole timeline for the M&A can be relatively short. And, and from an IT perspective, we need to go through a number of steps and stages, the same as you do for a whole business. Putting together an M&A piece of activity, and as you quite rightly stated there, you've got different variables and influences that are going to basically chop your legs away and make you fail with regards to implementation of your of your systems. 
The biggest challenge we have is the late engagement of IT. Bringing IT into the fold, not just during the the bid stage, and and this is where the essentially behind closed doors discussions are taking place with regards to organisations coming together, and and understanding what you really have, and and all the variable types of of acquisitions that take place. Some some are relatively secret, some are a little bit more open, but in general, until the deal has really come to the table, it's very much hush hush. And then we're going to go through that next stage, which is essentially planning the and going through the, the due diligence activities. He needs to be at the table to be able to understand, as you quite rightly state there, all the aspects of bringing systems, merging of data, understanding the security aspects of it. And depending on the type of merger that you're going through will dictate the activities that need to be undertaken. And one of the challenges that we sort of overcome and, and why we've been very relatively successful in the MAs that we've been engaged with has been putting all of those plans together for the complexity of the program, understanding the challenges and ensuring that we actually go through that phase and putting the governance in place to ensure that the organisations are in a healthy state and understand the activities that take place. Once you get through those elements, and remember, we're still only trying to get to the point of going to day one. There's quite a lot of work, as you understand, around just going, okay, it's not about, oh, right now I've got a piece of work, I need to merge some data. We've got to go through that, as I said before, the due diligence. Will the data actually merge? Is the data in the right state? And when you're in a competitive state for the M&A, that can be a big challenge because the companies are not quite as open to be able to share data in a true sense. And you end up with either a test bed of data and also that you've also got the regulatory part of it as well, which is making sure that you're not really stepping over the line and sharing data that you shouldn't. So there's some of the challenges. I think also on the back of that, Robert, and I think Barry and I were chatting earlier about this, but sometimes almost 50% of the value of an M&A deal is in the IT integration piece. So you're, you're talking about a significant amount of an M&A deal being extracted out of elements of IT and IT integration. And I think the other the other bit is making sure that what we do from an IT perspective aligns with the overall objective and strategy that the business is setting out in terms uh, of the piece of an M&A deal. Yeah. And I think you, you know, you'll, you'll have seen these and you'll agree with us, I'm sure, but it's that alignment of the IT and realizing the business, the overall business objective and strategy of the M&A deal. Too. I, would, I would agree. And look, I mean, one of the things I'll, I'll reiterate as well from my point of view is the ideal time to bring IT as well as many other aspects of the, the deal into the microscope, if you like, is when the deal thesis is being constructed. And you're actually looking at who's going to be taking over who. And and one of the points that Barry raised is, uh, and I could refer to examples of my own, you'll often find a large company making a small company acquisition. And the large company, of course, have got ISO standards in place and they've got all the governance factors in place and they've got uh, 100 people in the IT shop dealing with cybersecurity and everything else. And the smaller companies only just started thinking about that. And so on a scale of quality of their environment, one's at a a stage nine out of 10 and the other one's at stage three. And you take one look at the the data set of the company that's going to be acquired and you, you lose more hair instantly. And the other thing that came into my head when you were talking was we came across a deal whereby this particular company had got some specialized software that had been written specifically for that business. 
And what we found out when we started looking at that software is that there were several parts of it that had been developed using free-to-air source code. Now, that was fine at the time from the developer's point of view of actually speeding up the development process, but this software was now going to be used in an operational environment commercially, and a mild estimate was that we were up for a bill of about 12 million bucks before we even did anything. And so it's all of those hidden arcs, if you like, that someone of your quality and caliber, because both of you, uh, you myself, have got plenty of scars from your past experience because you've been there and done it. You intuitively know to look for those things, but the uninitiated doesn't. Yeah, and that's exactly what Barry was alluding to as well. You're doing your due diligence and you come across these things. And and also what I alluded to earlier on, we're we're 50% and possibly more is the value of the of the M&A deal. But when you're dealing with yep. that and you're doing your due diligence around that, you have to leave no room for future concerns or problems. The risks have to be completely mitigated at that point. You need to understand what value you're extracting from this deal. And you absolutely need to know where there are systems that can or can't be integrated. And you need to have those plans in place. You need to understand the elements that you're going to integrate and the elements that you're not going to integrate because it just does not pay it. And I think aside from that, when you start getting into areas of regulatory and legislative risk, the regulator is not going to be lenient if you cannot continue the services for customers. And we've seen that. I've been involved in a number of deals where the regulator comes in and there's an imperative to actually continue meeting that service. You have a system down for a weekend and your customers can't access their systems or their finances. The regulator will leave you in no doubt where the risk lies. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm just going to pick up on a comment you made earlier in that, which is around picking up all of the individual elements and recognizing that some of it may not be needed and other parts of it are critical. I've been involved in deals where you look at the, the whole IT infrastructure uh, and you've got the main operating systems, then the sales teams have got a CRM system. There might be other particular building control systems and security systems in place, and they've all got to be brought together. But in a lot of cases, right from day one, somebody throws a spanner in the works and they turn around and they go, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for us to upgrade a particular system. So we'll throw out the CRM that we've been using for the last five years and we'll put a new one in. And of course, it's not its not that easy. You don't just go down to the shop, buy a bag of potatoes and you're done. <laughs> so one of the things I'd like you to comment on, and, and I'll use again my experiences, is that in the IT environment, I've actually sat down with clients and said, okay, number one, we've got to get this business operational in six months. And with your current IT infrastructure, that isn't going to be possible in its entirety. So we're going to have to prioritize what the business needs as a core to get going. And then we're going to have to put in place longer term processes, which may live beyond the actual integration project. There'll be a program of work that goes on for the next three or four years. Is that something you've experienced as well? Absolutely. And 
it is quite interesting. One of the recent deals that we've been involved with was very similar to that, which is, I think you use the words carve out, which yes. is basically carving out a part of an existing business and merging in with a competitor. So basically they've, they've bought part of the service. And that causes its challenges on its own because a number of staff had to go across. I think it was many thousand that came across from, from one company to the other. And, and we were looking at how we would just integrate those systems and make sure that the right data went from A to B. Now, so if you can imagine yourself now, Rob, you're working for company A uh, and you're going to go for company B and you've been receiving lots and lots of emails under your Robert at company A email address, but you're going to go to company B. One of the challenges they had was, was trying to really move that data from A to B. Do I take all of your mailbox with me or do I take only some of it? Because actually, I still need to be able to service my customers who are still reporting and have been buying services from company A, but now we'll be merged into company B. So we had these real issues around uh, understanding that there's still confidential data in your email box and it's still, and we want to be able to move that across. So part of the challenge that we put in place for that area was to look at TSAs, the Transitional Service Agreements, yep. which enables yep. us to say, okay, look, part of this deal and part of the plan and part of, of, of Hugh's strategy discussions was some of these services won't be ready on day one. Um, and what we're going to have to do is ask for company A to be able to continue to deliver those services for company B under a service agreement whilst we go through what you mentioned there, the transformational piece, which is to say, okay, I now need to look at this particular system. We need to bring this on board. How are we going to do this and work on a system by system basis rather than looking at all of the big challenges that we have around all of those services, really focus on some of those, but they continue to be delivered by this other company. And part of the challenge we had, which you mentioned before, around security and regulatory piece, was ensuring that we can maintain those services within those confines and still meet the deal. Barry, do you want to also just explain some of the challenges we had here? We've got customers and getting their approval to that as well. Absolutely. And there's lots of legality parts of this as well, certainly in the finance industry as well, as, as anybody that's listening that works in the financial industry. It's not just about going, okay, technically we can do this. And from a business, it works. We can go from Fred Bloggs's company to Johnny Jones's company. We can change your name. There's a lot of challenges, understand it, from a legality perspective as well. Yep. And we need to make sure that we're still meeting our obligations. And as we mentioned before, that the customer at the end is not adversely losing any services. In many cases, you've almost got to step over the line and, and increase those services to make sure that they're better than they were before so that the regulator goes, okay, I'm happy that you've got this under control. I understand that the plan that you have in place for this. I understand that the services will be continued to be delivered and that you'll continue to report on the services that you are delivering to, to the regulator. So it's just ensuring that all of that is in place and, and planning it all the way through. I often use an example of that with, with prospective customers when we're talking about carve-outs because there's a point in time, uh, and I'll use the company that we dealt with was a, a food manufacturing company, large food manufacturing company. They were carving out a particular part of their business and in its entirety. Mm -hmm. So at midnight on a Sunday, the business was going to be legally carved out from its group. And at one minute past midnight, 1,200 trucks working across something like 25 distribution centers still had to be able to operate, still had to have access to the warehouses, still had to be able to barcode stock onto the trucks and take it out and deliver it to customers' supermarkets seamlessly. Mm -hmm. 
And those are the things that a lot of people don't realize when you are transitioning technology services and IT platforms and things like that. One second after the first one's been switched off, the other one's got to be fully operational. And it's no mean task. I'm probably going to put you both on the spot in a moment because we've sort of talked through this. And what we're building up is this picture that every day is different, every opportunity is different. There's a whole bundle of complexities in there from legal factors to operational factors, the people factors, to even technology factors of certain technologies that don't work well against each other and so on and so forth. The ideal time for starting to do that is during the deal thesis as early as possible and planning, uh, planning, planning and replanning is the, the key to driving success of this, as is having people that really know what they're doing. But if you're anything like me, you've probably been in situations where a big pile of smelly stuff has hit the fan. Mm -hmm. Can you give me just each, give me a couple of examples where things have gone badly wrong when you've got on a project and something's gone badly wrong and then what you might have done to rectify it. Okay. So that's going to put you on a spot. Absolutely. And I don't think there is ever a case where when you go through these complex projects that something doesn't go wrong. And and, and it's because things just happen. And one of the stories we always tell in IT is if only we didn't have users, we'd never have any issues. So once you start putting users in there, you've got the unknown. And when you've got thousands of users, you've got lots of unknowns. So they're some of the challenges. One of the one of the key projects that we did more recently, certainly over the COVID period, was uh, bringing two organisations together. And the strategy that, that was laid out and, and dictated by the acquiring business was to bring all of the acquired businesses' assistance into their regional data centres. And that's not unusual up and down APAC where you want to reduce your cost, you want to make sure you've got the best services in place, that you've got everything under control and you use the standards and all the long list of items that are tick boxes for big global organisations. And we wanted to bring this into, into the regional data centres until you read the small print at the bottom, which says the regulator says all the data must stay in country, uh, which yep. puts a big, part, not just a, a small bit of smelly stuff on the fan. This came in by a lorry load uh, because it pushed the budget out by uh, millions because the, the alternative and plan B were to be built two new data centres with two new sets of, of systems in place because the current kit didn't meet the current requirements and blah, blah, blah. And, and the list is endless. So we're sitting there scratching our heads and I said, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't we challenge the regulator? There's a piece that anyone sort of goes, you're mad. What? No, you can't challenge the regulator. The regulator makes the rules. And the piece we're going to put on the back of this is the acquisition for this business will not meet the deal criteria because the regulator is getting in the way for us to do business. So the business will operate much more successfully if you allow us to do what we need to do technically. So we put together the papers in local language. We did it in English, and then it was converted into local language. And using the relationship that the customer had with the regulator, and six months later, the regulator agreed with us and gave us permission to move the data into the regional data centers. So I think what we're saying here is uh, don't let things get in the way. Uh, you've got to yep. think outside the box and using all those scars that we've had, all of that experience we have, and just understanding the complexities of these projects, uh, we're able to see through this. And, and when we got this through, the, even the steering group sort of looked at us and went, wow, you don't know what you've really done here. That's really made us uh, push forward. And as you said there, we had about 
I think we ended up with seven major changes in our programme, which was seven buckets of poo in COVID. But we got through all of that in about three months late on the original plan, but certainly one inside budget at the end. So in the end, it was a tick in the box. That one, that one for me is a classic example of where someone with deep experience comes in and says, yeah, I know the rule says this, but let's challenge it. Mm. Right. And, and know how to do it. And put it in a language, yeah. because if the IT had done this or written this in, in their language, the, the regulator would have gone, I haven't got the foggiest idea yeah. what you're talking about. So I wrote this paper in the business language, focusing on the technology elements of it, but putting it as a business challenge. And that yeah. the, the real issue is a business one, not a technology one. Well, I think, Robert, as well, uh, sort of building on what Barry says, and, and also what you said, which is, What's the deal thesis? What's your planning thesis? And again, you get down to what are your IT planning theses? And I think yep. if you can then go through that and make sure that you get in early to the table and go through those options, go through the hypothesis, test those theses, and also test the boundaries. Because what we found is often you get into the delivery piece and the boundaries haven't been tested properly. Mm. And we haven't gone to the various parties to challenge them on some of those aspects. Now, that's not to say the challenges will always be successful, but let's understand what the risks are around those challenges. Uh, because if you can understand that, then you can understand which, which direction you take that, that particular IT integration in and whether you need mitigations around those. You've hit on a really key point because one of the things that is just recalled for me is that we often get involved in a, a an integration project and... We've had a conversation with the board and they've out outlined to us what the strategy is going to be and why the acquisition was taking place and so on and so forth. And then you walk into the acquired company and talk to the CIO there and he stands there and looks at you absolutely aghast and goes, what? We're being bought out, right? And, and that communication hasn't flowed down into the operational aspects of the business. So I'm very conscious that that can be a, a major challenge as well in terms of poor communication, misunderstanding at both sides. And again, that's our job. We're there to provide the glue, but to also smooth the process so that everybody understands what's happening, why it's happening, what the benefits are, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that I want to just then come on to, which is a topic, again, I don't want to put you in the spot, but let's say next week we've got a new client project and the Monday morning you've got a meeting with the CEO of the acquired business and you're there to start the conversation going. If we've got CEOs listening there, Barry, what's your three key asks or takeaways for that CEO? I think from a CEO perspective and go and talk to the CEO, we want to know, essentially, is this the acquired, the acquired organisation rather than the acquiring, correct? Doesn't matter. It could be either. Okay. So, so one of the things that obviously need at the very front end due diligence, absolutely information is key to us. But the first thing I would sit down with the acquiring or actually any of the CEOs is to put them at rest and, and explain the process that we would go through. And yep. there's a piece of work that needs to be done at the front end, which is putting the CEO at comfort and also ensure that he or she sees you as a trusted of them. So you need to be able to sit on the shoulder of those CEOs because they're the key sponsors for this particular activity. Yeah. And, and being able to talk the language of the CEO is, is actually critical. 
we need to be able to collect information at the front end and start the whole process of communications. So the first thing I would ask for him is, of him or her, is to say, okay, how would you like us to communicate to you? I'm happy to have the short calls in the morning, the weekly calls, whatever you need to, to be able to communicate effectively. And then I would then play out at a very high level the steps and stages that we would go through. And that includes, as I said, at the very front end, which is to say, okay, now the first things that I need really from you is is your organisational chart so I know who I'm going to be talking to down the line. And also to then start to understand the the environment that they're working with him. And also just to start to talk to some of those governance owners, people like the, the risk management officer, because I want to understand what challenges they have already within their environment and that should be reported through their their risk environment or certainly from their IT environment. So it's really starting to spread out, putting those roots in place, and, and then I would be able to then start to understand what the challenges are with regard to integration as we go down the line. Brilliant. Hugh? Yeah, I think Barry didn't have as much time as I've had to think about it. Certainly looking at it and, and the, the M&As that I've been involved in, I think the first part that I'd be wanting to establish from the CEOs is, where do they see the value? They're why they're doing the merger? And what part of that is IT? Because I think yep. we've seen IT being a significant part of an M&A deal value. Um, so that would be the first one. The, the second one is just assessing whether it's a friendly or hostile merger. I'd want to see whether it's hostile. I'd want to see and understand the soft elements of it. Where are we going to be facing some significant challenges from a people skills perspective? And, and are those significant risks for us? I, if we've got a hostile environment that we're stepping into, there might be individuals playing out their own agendas, or it'll be a friendly one. And actually, we can go in and we can actually be a little bit more engaging, if you like, and, and understanding that. And that's the second risk for me, which is really the people aspect of it. And I think the third thing is just asking them, do they see IT as a key risk in this m if I can, If they see it as a risk, then that. I'd certainly see it as a risk. I would also say that yeah, they might be underestimating that risk, and I'd want to make sure that when we do the due diligence and we've done the thesis hypothesis and we're validating that in the due diligence element, we, we, we take the appropriate steps and that make sure that that is absolutely rigorous. So the three elements would then align with the overall business objective of the m and I got to add to that with one of my own thought processes. When I go into an M&A deal, and again, we've been talking about IT today, but on top of that, it's layered with people and culture and operations and so on. And they're all interconnected. So you can't just transition the IT in, in isolation to everything else. It's all part of the entire picture. So my first question, whenever I go into either a leadership team or a, a chairman or CEO that's done a deal is... What on earth did you do this for? Mm-hmm. You know, and what what I'm really saying is, what's your vision? What's this going to look like on the other end of this deal when it's all gone through? And the analogy that I often use with people, and can use this either for the entirety of the project or for each individual siloed part of it, is the old-fashioned jigsaw puzzles. And what I say to people is, If you think about those jigsaw puzzles, they've got a picture. That picture represents the vision of what you want this organization to look like when this is finished. Mm -hmm. And inside that box are a thousand pieces that have all got to be put together in the right sequence, the right way up for that vision to materialize. And the normal way of doing that is to put the framework around the outside first. And the reason why I use it is because 
everything we've been talking about today, including the complexity of some of the things, the simplicity of some of the things, some of the regulatory and, and provisional controls you've got to put in place, they're all part of that picture. And part of success for me of any M&A deal is that you then periodically go back to that leadership team and you say, right, gentlemen, there's the front of the jigsaw puzzle again. That was the vision we initially set out for. Now let me show you how much of that has materialized. And, and essentially, you can continue as you go through the project. You can help the client see, all oh, right, okay, some parts of the picture are clear now. Other parts are still a bit shady. By the way, that nice farmyard scene with the the barn on the left-hand side, well, uh, the barn's now on the right-hand side. <laughs> and you've got to take those clients on that journey. And I think the other thing that's occurred to me as we've been talking, which I think has been implicit in what we've all been saying, is our role is to be proactive, right? So we are the guys that have found the big pile of smelly stuff and have been able to advise the company that there is a big pile of smelly stuff, but we're also able to resolve that before someone switches the fan on. I think that's important because there's always going to be something over the other side, something you're going to find along the way. And you need to have the processes in place, the, the working attitude in place to be able to yep. effectively communicate it um, and ensure that those that need to know, the stakeholders themselves, need to understand what the challenges are, but reassuring them that this is how we're going to overcome them. But you also need to look at it from a, a risk aspect of it, which is what what would be the impact if we don't address it. So it's yeah. each one of those, and as I think you said it there, you know, many different projects along the way, but actually there's micro projects within projects all the way down the line. And it's how you break them up and understand the cha challenges that occur. And too many times I see people sitting far too high up taking a much more generalistic view about what's going on. And yeah. they don't understand the detail yeah. um, because they don't have the experience. They're on a journey, but they're really on a blind journey. They've got blindfolds on and they're just doing the generic project management piece. Just sort of building on what Barry says. And similarly, and using your analogy of the jigsaw, that sometimes you can go out and build a part of that jigsaw, but ultimately you need to know that it's going to fit back in. So as Barry's been alluding to there, the, the detail needs to be expanded and explored. And you might pick out some of those pieces of the detail and you'll understand that. But at the end of the day, the picture that we build up of the IT needs to fit within the overall frame of that jigsaw. And it's that communication and making sure and that all the bits join together and actually make sense. That if you've got communication and change going on within the organization, when do you land the IT? Because yep. it, again, again, it's one of those digesting things, isn't it? It's, there's no point in you going along seeing this merger and and not being able to digest it and and absorb it and and meet the m a value deal and it is an implicit part of that and how we yep. do that and the robustness and the and then the other thing i was also going to highlight robert is the maturity of the acquiring organization and m a deals how mature is this have they done lots of these and it's a very organized process and it's mature and it's repeatable and it's it's measurable um, and if they've yep. done it lots of times, then they've built up that ability to actually digest and, and, and ingest, if you like, and, and integrate. If they haven't, then the question is, have they built that? Do they understand that? Do they understand the complexities? 
have they built those risks and costs in? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And, and, and this is bringing us to a, a, a nice close to, to this podcast because there's some very good lessons in there. One of the things that's been evident to me as we've been talking is we started out talking about the fact that all of us in doing this job, we're, we're practitioners. We've been there and done it. We've got the gray hair and the scars, right? We know how to deal with these sort of issues. And I'll go a stage further than that. Whenever we get involved in, and this will apply to you guys as well, when we're involved in an M&A project, you need to have the wherewithal about you that on Monday morning at nine o'clock, you can walk into the CEO's office and you can have a conversation with him in his language about how this is impacting his strategy, where we've got to so far in terms of the business integrations and some of the risks and challenges that might face us this week and next week. Half an hour after that, you can be down in the IT shop talking to programmers about the work that we've got to get done this week in terms of transitioning client data from system A to system B and how we're going to do that and segment it and do everything else at the same time. And an hour after that, you can be explaining to the sales director what's going to happen with his CRM system and how he might need to think about changing some of the ways he interacts with his sales team. Yep. And we have to be able to move from all of those different levels, not just from CEO to T-shop to sales guys, but at any point in the day across any other aspect of the business. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the key fundamentals about the people that do jobs like this, projects like this, aren't for the faint-hearted. They're not for juniors. We need people that have got seniority and the maturity to be able to operate at every single level of the business and be able to move up and down that and across it without any fear, any worry about internal politics and Robert, I think you're you're right, and I think that's where we, and certainly from a PTS perspective, bring that maturity of capability to the table. Yeah, you know, there's the scars, there's the maturity of the processes, and there's the optimization of those processes to make sure that integration of process actually happens and happens in the right way. We've done it many, many times before, and it's that maturity that we bring of that repeatable, implementable, and and optimized process of change. And I think that's a great closing point and advert for PTS Consulting to uh, to finish on. It's been a great conversation today, Hugh and Barry. Thank you so much for your time. For those of our listeners, we've been listening to Barry Lewington and Hugh Badbrom, PTS Consulting, a global consulting specializing in technology and everything from strategy to operational reality. We will again talk more because I think we're going to share another podcast if you gentlemen are open to that. And so I think that's a good point to close. It's my duty simply to say thank you for listening. Barry and Hugh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And it's my pleasure to say bye for now. Thank you very much, Rob.